HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Meat and 3 is Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week on Meat and 3, we're bringing you highlights from Feast Portland, like our chat with the one and only Andrew Zimmern. I'm super excited to be here because for people who do what I do for a living, we do tons of, you know, desk side chats and podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. And you circle the handful of ones in a year where you get to talk with people that you're really excited about talking with. So... This is, this is awesome. We picked up on some recurring themes while talking to our impressive roster of guests, including the current state of Portland's food scene, personal identity, and believe it or not, the influence of great chef's grandmothers. Mima never touched a drop of booze in her life and now has a distillery named after her. But I grew up in her garden and just really, she taught me all good things come from scratch and women can be anyone they want to be. So tune in for this week's extra special episode. Subscribe to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. Welcome, everybody. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson. I'm the communications director here at HRN, and I'm joined by my co-host, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Hey, Kat. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. We have a studio full of amazing people today, as per usual. Um, I'll introduce our team first, and then Kat's going to introduce our very special guests. Uh, we have a few people bridging the gap, so I don't know. I'm going to kind of step in and maybe overstep on some extra special team slash guests as well. So um, first of all, to my left, we have Jordan Werner Berry, producer of Modernist Breadcrumbs. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Our wonderful membership coordinator, Hannah Forden, joins us to my right. Hello, hello. And we have in the booth, Noam Osband and Amanda Wang. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. <laughs> I also learned last week uh, that Noam has a, a special nickname that might come up later in the show. Oh. Can I tell them, Noam, what it is? Yeah, 
you're welcome to. You're welcome to tell them, and then I will tease you by also telling you that my dad had a funny nickname for me, which <gasps> oh. I will, I will, I will. Will you tell me that if I don't tell them the other one? Uh, <laughs> I will just tease it with you, and all I will say is he gave me a bar mitzvah gift that I cannot wear in public, even though it's a very sweet, innocent gift. Okay, well, it has my nickname on it. I this am going to find that out. I have a project, but for everybody, uh, your reward. This week is to know that Noam's nieces and nephews call him Uncle Duty. <laughs> You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, one of these people who is definitely bridging the gap between HRN core team and very, very special guest, Michael Harlan Turkel, host of the food scene, is joining us. Hello, He's in between the mics. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> And Kat, do you want to introduce our special, special guest for this week? I would love to. Our first guest is Daniel Isengard. He's the author of a new book called The Art of Gay Cooking. Um, It's part cookbook, part memoir, and it explores Isengard's life and experiences as a private chef and cabaret dancer. Welcome, Daniel. Good to be here. Thank you. Hi. And our second guest is Francisco Magoya. If you've been listening to Modernist Breadcrumbs... You're familiar with Francisco. Um, He's part of the Modernist Cuisine team. And the newest set of books, Modernist Bread, came out last November. And it contains over 1,500 recipes, both traditional and avant-garde. Welcome, Francisco. Hi. It's good to be here. All right. Well, we're going to get into a lot of super interesting conversations later because something that both of our guests have in common is a background and love of the arts and They've really combined art and food in their careers, and I'm so so excited to talk to both of them. But first, we have a few announcements. I'm just bringing the mic over here. So um, this coming Tuesday, October 2nd, we have um, one of our super fun member happy hours at Whole Foods in Bryant Park, which is in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, It's from 6 to 8 p.m. If you're a member, you can come and enjoy some free beer, uh, discounted snacks, and you get to hang out with the HRN team and other members. If you're not a member, it's a great place to become one. And you will also get to enjoy free beer. So um, check it out. I believe there's a Facebook event. But if not, you can just uh, head over to Harbor Bar at Whole Foods from 6 to 8 p.m. on October 2nd. There is totes a Facebook event. Mm-hmm. RSVP, y'all. <laughs> um, another event coming up very soon is on this Saturday. The Chili Pepper Festival returns to Brooklyn Botanic Garden on Saturday, September 29th. They're going to have... Fiery live music, spicy treats, and more. I'm going to be there. Katie's going to be there. You should be there, too. Um, you can go to bbg.org slash chili pepper festival for more info. And uh, the following weekend, no, two weekends from then, we have uh, Street Fair coming up. Um, the amazing shop, The Green Grape is hosting a street fair called Eat Green. We're shutting down the little block corner. HRN's going to have a table, and uh, we'll be selling, um, actually, the Green Grape will be selling on our behalf toast ale with proceeds to benefit HRN, which is super awesome. And uh, Jordan and Hannah and Liza and I will all be hanging out there, so come spend the day with us. Hopefully it'll be a beautiful day outside. Go swing by the farmer's market, get some stuff at the Green Grape Butcher. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to have a raffle of some kind, TBD. Uh, one more quick announcement coming up in early November. We're going to be at the Fire Flower and Fork Festival in Richmond, Virginia. This is a new-ish festival, um, and we're going to be doing some live broadcasts from a beautiful museum there. Um, Q 
keynote speaker is Carla Hall, and there's a bunch of amazing folks coming out. So um, come hang with us there if you uh, have been wanting to check out Richmond, Virginia, fireflowerandfork.com, November 1st through the 4th. Super excited about that. All right, and now it's time for our headlines. <laughs> First up. Katie Kiefer went out to Neiman Ranch Farms in Des Moines this week for What Doesn't Kill You. She talked with agricultural expert Fred Kirschman about the future of our current agricultural system. In his view, we have reached the end of the line in our exploitative and environmentally disastrous style of growing food. To Kirschman, we must move forward to a more integrated and holistic system. And on this week's Snacky Tunes, uh, they featured an interview with a man who never thought he'd be working in a kitchen. Uh, his name is Royce Burke. He's the culinary genius behind Los Angeles' inventive late-night concept Secret Lasagna and Yarrow Cafe. He was talking about how he ended up where he is now and how he's reimagining what vegetarian cooking can be. Uh, there's also a live performance in the studio from the Static Jacks, and they talked about busking in New York City and their favorite diner, Tuna Melts. Win. One of my favorite foods ever. <laughs> I love a good tuna melt. Um, and this week on In the Sauce, Gertrude Allen sat down with host Ali Kane to talk about the ins and outs of growing a business. Uh, Gertrude Allen is the CEO of Pet Plate, which is a direct-to-consumer pet food distributor. So if you want to learn a little bit more about fundraising and how to pitch your company to investors, you'll want to catch this, epi- this week's episode of In the Sauce. And finally, we have a preview, as always, of our next episode of Meet and Three. Um, we'll be coming back very soon, and we decided that it's high time we did an episode dedicated to all things cannabis. Ah. We explore the wide world of weed, from the resurgence of hemp farming in South Carolina to trendy CBD cocktails in Manhattan. Super excited about this episode. Hannah Forden has been leading the charge on reporting. Yeah, you did an episode all about football, and I am doing an episode all about pot. So we're really covering everyone's interests here. <laughs> totally. We did football. Katie did cookbooks. Oh, my God. Hannah did pot. You know, the, the three... Caring is caring. The three main food groups, I guess. <laughs> and not to overuse a bread pun, but it does apply in this situation. I think you guys are really on a roll with me and three. Uh, ah. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. Anytime. <laughs> uh, but yeah, check out this new episode. It is super fascinating. Obviously, there are a lot of very newsy stories related to legalization, and CBD is super trendy right now. But I'm very excited about the story about um, hemp farming in South Carolina because it's kind of a brand new thing and a new frontier. And um, um, yeah, very good job with that, <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to turn it back to our esteemed guests now. Um, Francisco, I want to start with you. Okay. Because, you know, we're super excited to have a new episode, a new season of Modernist Breadcrumbs on the way. Yeah, we are too. So tell me what's going to be new and exciting in this new season. And Jordan, you can jump in on this too, because uh, you're very involved as well. Uh, I, I think uh, part of what uh, has been uh, really cool is to kind of take a step back after the first season came out um and it's it's such a such a big project that it's allowed us a little bit of more time to think about it and to think about what is in the book and its content and just the impact it's had in general uh in the world of baking which obviously we're hoping it's positive uh always right but you never know um and so um when you came to the lab uh 
we talked about a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And you need to remind me of what we sure. talked about. Uh, we can do a little, little <laughs> season. Because I feel like it was a while ago. Yeah, we can do a little season preview here. The, the first episode, which some of our listeners here might have seen some social media posts asking for submissions of punny starter names. Oh, sure. Yes. Yep. That's so my that... favorite subject. <laughs> I, should, I want you to write a book just on yeah. that. Well, Francisco has some of the best ones yes. of all time. I think so. What are you? Uh, we can give well, mine name. is Levon James. <laughs> uh, and he's still going strong. Of course he is. Yeah. Michael uh, fact-checked me in writing, actually, the other night, because I referred to LeVon James, uh-huh. like your starter, as being in the Hall of Fame, uh-huh. and was promptly told that LeBron James is not yet in the Hall of Fame, uh-huh. which I had no idea, because... <laughs> so y'all shaking his head. It's inevitable, but I just want to be factual. Sure. Gotta make sure. Yeah. So that, that first episode is all about starters. Uh, And uh, you shared some of the names that I wish I could have come up with, too. They were, like, so obvious. Um, There will be a whole montage mm -hmm. that we're going to put in that episode because they're just too good. Somebody has one. One or two more. Um, Danny Levito. Yeah. That's not mine, but somebody I heard it the other day. I'm like, how did I not? Yeah. How did that escape me? You need a real real Perman iteration then, too, so you can get Perman. Yes, sure. Them, and I'm sure there is. My um, favorite listeners' submissions so far were um, from a baker in Kentucky, and it was Kentucky Thoroughbred. Oh. <clears throat> and then a friend of mine actually has one that... She says, started from the bottom, now it's here. And she calls yeah. it Drake. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a lot of pop culture happening with punny starter names Clint around the Eastwood. country. Clint Eastwood, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Mommy Dearest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I went with Mama Cass the other day as an example. Good. Yep, yeah, it's a very creative. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only names, but also getting into microbiology in that episode. Sure. Which is a lot of what you had to talk about and kind of how to preserve a starter over time mm-hmm. or if it's even worth it. Right. So. And what is it that is happening to that starter that you have in your fridge that is most mm-hmm. probably, most definitely dead? dead. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, some tears will be shed. Um, but uh, that's what it is, you know. But it's, as easy, it's easy enough to start a new one, so. Yeah. Francisco, have you ever had a yeast funeral? Well, so... Uh, I thought you were going to say infection, so I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> we get uh, very personal yeah. on this show. <laughs> no, but, uh, but I, I, I did have this thought the other day that, you know, bread is a yeast cemetery. Mm. Oh. I Whoa. mean, it's a very dark way to look at bread, but that's exactly what it is. <laughs> well, I mean, even in scoring, you use so much dead bread to practice uh-huh. That that it's a very it's a morbid thing when you're attempting to make yes a and the, and the feel is very different you know so it, it's when you when you're touching this dead dough you can tell it's dead so um, but yeah definitely yeah it's gonna be a really bright and happy season <laughs> <I think. laughs> um, yeah and from there let's see we did an episode about other fermentations and yeast oh yeah using barm for example for uh, and and wine yeasts and so forth yep. And then Mm -hmm. heritage grains and regional grain projects Mm -hmm. and incorporating kind of more interesting grains into your bread. Mm -hmm. And you spoke a lot about how that actually affects the dough. Oh, sure. Which will Mm -hmm. be a cool, Mm -hmm. cool thing to hear. And then, oh, geez, what's next? Uh, Flatbreads. 
flatbreads. Yes. yes. One of my favorite things that you talked about was you walked us through step by step, which I think is in the book as well, mm-hmm. how to build your own tandoor oven. Oh, sure. You can build a tandoor <laughs> oven with, you can get everything at the Home Depot or Lowe's. <laughs> uh, for 300 bucks, you can build a tandoor oven in your house. So, so stay tuned, DIYers. Nifty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, let's see, we're doing eight episodes. So re- holiday. holiday breads, uh-huh. uh, regional breads, or mm-hmm. lack thereof across the country. That sounds controversial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are some really fun ones. I am fully obsessed with salt rising bread. Yeah, it's 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 a dangerous thing <laughs> to be sure. Uh, I mean, it's it's you're basically doing something very similar to botulism uh, in order to make to make bread. Um, so yeah, this is a very happy uh, <laughs> episode. That we're, we're dangerous over yeah. here, modernist botulism and cemetery. You guys should do a crossover with like my favorite murder. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to promote the show. Uh, actually, no, that episode won't be near Halloween. Dang it! I should nice. just change the schedule around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the last one, which is appropriate for what we're talking about today, is bread and art. Oh right. <gasps> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. But you guys did a lot of work about. So. There, there's a quick anecdote I can add sure. to that because um, in the book that precedes mine, which is a memoir that my partner wrote, uh, there was a memoir about the art project we ran together. It was called the Homeless Museum of Art mm. that we ran in our apartment. <laughs> and uh, so it was basically a send-up of the Contemporary Art Museum. And one of the projects was a sourdough uh, bread that we baked every week for the people who came for the openings. And the idea is that um, the, the bread would be a reflection of the culture in the museum. Mm. And it was the wild culture, the wild mm-hmm. geese, that it would pick up from the atmosphere, and mm-hmm. this was a way how we would monitor how well we're doing. Mm-hmm. So very, you know, conceptual, but with a lot of humor, obviously. So I just wanted yeah. to mention That's that. That's a cool so, idea. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. It was fun. And yeah, as you said, sometimes she was dead. And, you know, we <laughs> used to call the mother, we used to call it the mother. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a, a small edition of a cookbook that was called the Uncomfort, Discomfort Foods Cookbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> so there we talked about the mother, how you have to feed her and you have to beat her and you have to be nice to her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anyway, so that was just my little art and uh, bread uh, story. Okay. Totally makes sense. Well, I'm going to, Francisco, I want to come back and talk about what you're currently working on. But mm-hmm. Daniel, let's jump over and tell us about the art of gay cooking it's a literary appropriation of the Alice B. Toklas cookbook, which I love, 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 love. And so tell us about why you decided to, to do, take that on as a project. Right. So there's a precept to this. Um, I have a partner, and uh, he's a conceptual artist, as I just mentioned earlier. And he wanted to write a book about our lives uh, as part of the avant-garde in New York. And since he is uh, someone who works in appropriation, he decided to rewrite the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas. And that's what he did. So he wrote the book called The Autobiography of Daniel J. Isengard. And uh, it turned out really through the process, we discovered that we have so much more in common with them that would have appeared or that many people maybe did not even want to see, but we certainly found out about it. The most obvious one being that this was a, you know, an American lesbian couple who lived as expats in Paris and were part of the art world in the early 20th century. We are two homosexual men from Europe living in New York and being part of that world. We have a salon at home. We had the Homeless Museum of Art. And, uh, and I love to cook and I work part-time as a private chef and I always have cooked all my life just like Alice B. did. So, of course, Philip said, when if you want to write a cookbook, you should do the same as I have done, and appropriate uh, her book. And I resisted it for a little bit because I thought, no, I have my own thing. And and then I decided, no, why not? It would be beautiful to have a, a bookend to his. So we have part one and two. 
And it was a very strange way of writing because it's really like doing a translation. So I had to sort of crack the code and immerse myself into her tone, into her voice while maintaining my own story and my own recipes. And once I had that code cracked, it became very liberating because you had a parameter in which you can be very, very creative. And uh, the tone suited me very well because, as you know, if you know the book, she's very dry, she's very opinionated, and she's, it's almost, it's not flat, but it's sort of acerbic, and she observes things very clearly, and then she leaves you hanging and moving on. So, so it's very much implication. You have to read a lot in between the lines. And it's, it's great fun. It's unusual, and it's an exercise of stylistic writing. And that's uh, why it was so much fun for me, because I didn't want to just write a blunt, banal memoir, because who am I? It's not really about me. It's really about the style that you put to use to tell a story that could be almost anyone's story. And it has recipes in it, but they oh, yeah. don't look like what maybe people expect to see when they open up a cookbook. Not today anymore. That's right. So yeah. how like, how do you think, or how, how should people plan to like cook from this book? Right. So the recipes, and there are about 250 in them, although uh, uh, maybe 50 or so, no, 270 and 70 are from Friends, because just like Elsby Toklas had a, a chapter called Recipes from Friends, I did the same thing. By the way, referring to the pot story, the Alice B. Toklas cookbook, of course, is famous for the hashish fudge that in popular culture became the pot brownie, but it wasn't, and she actually didn't even know what a hashish was. It was uh, contributed by Brian Geisen, uh, a poet who lived in Morocco, and so it was dried fruit and hashish uh, made together into sort of truffles. And she put it in, and the American publisher did not want it and cut it out and the British publisher left it in and then somebody wrote about it and became famous and then Peter Sellers made a Hollywood movie I Love You Alice B. Toklas and there you see a young woman making brownies from a mix by the way but it looks as if she's using the Alice B. Toklas cookbook as the recipe mm. and that's why everyone thinks I had a discussion once with someone who said yeah Alice B. Toklas she was this cool chick she was a pothead <laughs> I said no she was not a pothead this is what really happened anyway so in my book I actually have a recipe for pot brownies so to sort of rectify uh, the story but the, my, my own recipes are all written in prose there are no ingredient lists it's very colloquial they're very uh, short and uh, they assume a certain level from the cook. So this is not for a novice. And I did that really consciously because I think a lot of what I see in food writing today is it's all geared towards beginners. And I think that is not a good idea because the, I, what we want is for someone to try to lift themselves up to a higher level. And the only way how to learn how to cook is to cook. And you just have to jump in. And I think that the more uh, uh, micro-instructions you give, the more you instill a certain fear because you thereby imply everything that could go wrong. And that takes away part of the fun of you to discover on your own what can go wrong and to learn it step by step through experience. I mean, this is how I learned it as a kid. And I always say to my adult students when I teach cooking, you have to become a kid again. You have to let go of the fear, jump in, things will go wrong, and you have to analyze why and then do it again. And that's how else will you have fun? Because otherwise you just learn how to follow an instruction. And that's, for me at least, not much fun. I want to explore something and learn something new. I will chime in about Daniel's book that I love the narrative that it's written in, and it's so anecdotal, um, and that's part of the recipe, too, the condition in which you cook it in, the environment, the people that you're around, and not to transfer this back to Francisco, but uh, in one of our episodes uh, upcoming, it's about microbes in people's hands and the human effect of things, and I wonder how 
that plays in the bread because you can both answer this question. When someone makes a recipe and it doesn't work, they fault the recipe, but how much of it is the human condition? Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really want to say something about that because I, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've heard the recipe doesn't work. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I, don't like, we love that? Yeah. <laughs> this inanimate well. object is at fault for the recipe not working, uh, and but yet it works for like a 2,000 other people. So... Um, it's it's that is is the challenge of writing a book, a cookbook, which is you never know. Uh, I mean, you try to write it for everybody, uh, but then there's going to be some people that either they like I, you know, they forgot the yeast or they forgot the salt or they forgot a step. But no, it just it wasn't me. It was it was the book. The book the book made me do it. Um, but yeah, I just. Thanks for bringing that. There, there's a beautiful anecdote um, uh, that uh, Richard Olney and Elizabeth Davids, I hope some of your listeners will know who that was. Uh, Richard Olney was a an artist who moved to France and was a painter and became an authority in French cooking and then uh, and, and about wine and was the editor of the second big Time Life series, The Good Cook. Uh, and so this was those cooks uh, cookbooks were my Bible when I was a teenager. And Elizabeth David, of course, the grand dame of uh, British food writing. And they were friends and... Um, um, Judith Olney, um, the sister-in-law of, of Richard, overheard that when they discussed the recipe. She had tried a recipe uh, for um, souffle à la Suissesse from Richard Olney, and she said to him, well, that did not work out at all. And his reply was, well, my dear, you must have been doing something wrong. <laughs> and I think that is the best reply. And I think the idea of a recipe is that it should give you a guideline. You need to try to understand what's going on, hopefully understand why the next step is the next step and then you have to pay attention to what you're doing and pay attention to your ingredients and immerse yourself in the process and refer back to the book as little as possible uh, uh, that's how I certainly cook and I, and I encourage people to try that now of course there are certain things that are highly scientific and there you need something else but then you have to already be on a scientific level in your method and if you are not it's not going to help you you have to develop your own sense of freedom because cooking is also at least when you do it at home is also a bit about playing and you should never lose that sense and that's very gay, by the way, <laughs> if I may bring that in. <laughs> but because of my book title, obviously. <laughs> so you both have um, backgrounds in art, and we can touch a bit more on that. But speaking about being able to improvise and make mistakes in the kitchen and, and not worrying when things don't go exactly right, to both of you, do you think that having kind of a sensibility of being an artist helps with that? Uh. I, you know, I, I think in there's certain things that you you kind of do have to follow the recipe. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, respectfully disagree with. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, because for example, if I'm making a parachou or I'm I'm making ganache or I'm making a baguette, I can't just I, you need to start with like a, a some precision so that you can move through the steps and. Uh, you can't really correct along the way with some of these things. I mean, I imagine, like, for example, with certain preparations, like if you're making a soup or this, you know, you can, you can improvise a little bit. But uh, in, it, I just, I personally, I, I like, I kind of sometimes like to be told what to do uh, with the recipe. Um, and it's like, here's a recipe, and if you follow it, this is what you're going to get. Um, so that's, that is just, it's, and that's how I would say that the technique when I make art, it's, it's, 
I mean, sure, it's there's there's that uh, freedom to do whatever you want, but there. I mean, I, it starts with the with technique and it starts with the foundation that you can, you know, if, you, if it's pretty solid, if it's good, you can then move and, you know, do your own thing and, and so forth. But, um, but yeah, it's just there's, there's room for improvisation even in the most precise things, but you have to know what you're doing first before you can have that freedom to improvise. Oh, I, I, I totally agree mm-hmm. with that. Absolutely. There's no question. There has to be a foundation. And also, if you're a beginner, you don't start with uh, something that is elevated. I mean, a patashu is something that's fairly precise. Oh, yeah. But even there, only experience will tell you if the recipe says four eggs, maybe you will only need three and a half. Uh, or you need a little bit of fourth until the dough has the right consistency because otherwise it will not puff up the way you want it. So there's always a little bit of leeway and that comes with experience. There's something that a recipe cannot really tell you because then you really should go into the high precision of what temperature, what should be because all these things have some level of an influence. But I never meant to say that you can just throw everything up in the air and do just your own thing. That's what you do when you're four year old and you just play at cooking but you need to actually uh, have a result that is, you know. But I think when you're at a certain level and you have a certain foundation you also know that with very rare exceptions nothing really bad can happen I mean uh, I would say I mean of course you can always aim higher and do something more and more and more difficult each time but generally you know you can do this and then the fun comes when you make subtle changes in the moment um certainly influenced by the market and by the season. So let's not forget that, that you have to be in the moment and be able to react to it. And that's what art really is. Art needs to reflect the very moment with the perspective of the past and hopefully the future. Um, And I think that as an artist, maybe you are more in touch with that playful side uh, that is part of all of us. And I think maybe that's where the artistry can come in. So Francisco, you went to art school. Well, so... I was going to go to art school. Ah. <laughs> and then my parents were like, are you sure you want to do that? Um, mostly because, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends that are, like, they're artists, but, and they're very talented artists, but they're, they're working at jobs that they don't want to work at uh, because they wanted to try to keep going with the art and so forth. And so I tried to do a little bit, something more practical with the art part and I thought cooking was going to be along those lines of having, being, having that ability to be artistic, in a sense, and then having that ability to, uh, to make a living. Um, and so I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't have to you know, have a job I didn't want to do in order to do the thing that I wanted to do. Um, and so I found that the happy medium was cooking for me. Um, and I feel like it's, you know, you can, I mean, you don't have to cook with an artistic vision or sensibility. But I feel like for me it's worked, and that's that's I, I always try to apply that sort of um, well that aesthetic and that sensibility to everything that I do. So, um, and that includes food. So. And but food also kind of influences the art that you do now. Yes, sure. I mean, because it's a big part of my life, um, and I think that that's you know you, you I don't want to speak for everybody, but for the most part, you 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 do what you know uh, and what you're most familiar with. It's like when writers write books, they write from experience. They write from experiences in their life. Maybe it's not like as obvious or as connected, but it's you. It's always informed by something that that is part of your life. And so, yes, a lot of what I do with art has to do with food, for sure. So, can I also? Do you think that basically you've come full circle with this? That you've now maybe have enabled yourself to bring the art back stronger into your life after having gone through the regular uh, career path mm-hmm. of being a chef? I don't know what your career I think path so. Was. Yeah, that's I wonderful. I think so, mostly because I never had to 
uh, force a living out of art. Um, and so I was able to, to do it. Yeah, no, sure. It's yeah. very hard. Um, and so I think that I'm, I'm at the point where, I, where yes, I'm, I'm, I, can, I don't need, I can do whatever I want artistically. Fantastic. Um, and still be able to pay my mortgage, you know. So I think it's a happy medium for me. Notice he didn't say rent, by the way. <laughs> well, because I don't live in New that's York City. <laughs> if I lived in New York City, it would be rent. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good point about that. For sure. <laughs> and Daniel, speaking of incorporating food and art, yeah. you incorporate food into your stage performances. No, I, to be honest, I only did that once. So you may have seen that video. Yeah, yeah. it's I'll, great. I will talk about this. But uh, of course, my background is performing arts. Uh, and I actually do think that cooking and performing have a lot in common. Um, and as it turns out, my cooking, as I work a lot as a private chef, I end up being in private homes, in open kitchens, where I'm on view constantly. And uh, I've been doing this for quite a while, when open kitchens were not as common as they are now. And I was completely comfortable with this, as I am comfortable with talking to people while I'm cooking. Uh, it's not a problem at all. So, uh, yeah, it is a performance level to this. But what you're referring to is was a challenge by Julian Fleischer, a friend of mine, who was emceeing a show at uh, Charlton 52. And uh, he asked me, could you do a, a number, it was like a cabaret show, uh, where you combine singing and cooking. Mm. Uh, and I thought, oh, God, um, yeah, sure, why not? Because when someone throws me a ball like this, I'm usually game. And so I created a number where I uh, would talk about what I mentioned earlier, the history of the pot brownie in the Alice B. Toklas cookbook and how that changed. And since I couldn't bake on stage and I had four minutes to do this. <laughs> I made what I call the cannabis mousse. And I, you know, uh, had the chocolate already melted and I beat the egg whites uh, and uh, folded the egg yolks into melted chocolate and I infused cream. No, it was also with whipped cream. So I infused the cream with the, uh, with the dried cannabis and uh, folded everything in. And uh, while singing, uh, you got to, what's nice sing? I don't even remember. It's been a year. So I think I sang, probably you got to taste all the fruits of May West song <laughs> or some Peggy Lee song. Anyway, it was great fun. And I had, I should also say, you can find it online, you know, uh, uh, on YouTube, but I had 10 minutes to rehearse this with a pianist I'd never worked with before. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this was high improv. It worked. It was fun. It was fun. It was. It's really good. I recommend everyone watch Thank it. Thank you. Um, all right. Let's take a very short break. We'll come back with a few more questions, and then we're going to play some food and art trivia. All right. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. All right, welcome back to HRN Happy Hour. We're just topping off our glasses. We're drinking some German Riesling in honor of Daniel Thank and Francisco. You. That's delicious. Um, wait, I have I have one more question for each of you. That's a burning question, and anyone else if they have anything left. Um, for Daniel, your forward of your book was written by Jeremiah Tower. Mm -hmm. I guess my question is, 
I guess I don't even have a question. That's that's awesome. How, <laughs> How did, did that come about? It? How did I do How it? How did that come yes. about? So um, I wrote um, a few years ago before the book. I wrote a series of essays called that I called the Joy of Gay Cooking for Slate. And uh, in it, I analyzed uh, the role that uh, gay men have played in the American culinary renaissance. You had James Beard, uh, um, Richard Olney, um, Craig Claiborne, and of course, Jeremiah Tower later as well. Um, so I did a lot of research. And so I, and I've already had, of course, heard about Jeremiah Tower and I read his book and I had tried to reach out to him, but uh, I wasn't able to. And then um, the movie that, uh, Rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain made about him, The Last Magnificent came out, and I heard about the movie and I went to the premiere at the Tribeca Film Fest, and in the film you literally see Jeremiah pull out the Alice B. Tokers cookbook and read from it and say, this book travels with me wherever I go. By that time I had finished my draft, and I was sitting there thinking, okay, this is the man, first of all, he's a genius, and as I said to him later, you're not just a genius and an artist, you're a nobleman, and that's very rare. But he will get it, what I try to do with my book, with this work of appropriation, which is unusual for a cookbook. So I had to reach out to him, and I was able to meet someone who handed him the book that my partner, Philip Notodame, had written, which was the uh, prequel, the um, Alice B. Tokers autobiography, Appropriation. And he wrote back to me, and then I sent him the book, and then he offered to write the foreword. Uh, and we became friends, and he's an amazing, amazing man. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and Francisco, um, I would love if you could share anything about the upcoming project you're working on, which yes. is pizza. And mm -hmm. um, so pizza is kind of a bread. So why does pizza warrant a whole separate project? Yeah, so Modernist Pizza is the official name of our, our next project. Uh, and it is... It warrant. I mean, it's. I would ask, how could it not? Uh, Fair enough. You know, uh, just because it is possibly the most one of the most popular foods in the world. Uh, there are very few, few countries you'd go to that don't have a form of pizza or an interpretation of pizza uh, or dough with sauce and toppings, uh, right? And it's still called pizza. Um, even if you think about the U.S. and how many regional styles there are of pizza. Uh, there's more regional styles or specific styles of pizza in the U.S. than there are anywhere else. Um, but having said that, we have spent a bunch of time in Italy. We've we've been three times this year uh, to basically do research and to we 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 talk to the pizza makers, we talk to the restaurant owners about how they make their dough, their process, the ingredients they use, how they make it, what types of oven they use. So we're trying to document with as much detail as possible. Um, from everybody we talked to. We've also been to South America that, interestingly, uh, like Sao Paulo has 6,000 pizzerias. Wow. Uh, and it has its own style of pizza and their own style of toppings. It's, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's an interesting case of broken telephone syndrome uh, because these were Italian immigrants and the pizza in Sao Paulo looks nothing like the pizza in Italy. Uh, and then you go to the country next to it. Uh, you go to Argentina. We, we went to Buenos Aires as well. Exactly. Yeah. And the pizza there looks nothing like the pizza in Buenos Aires, in <laughs> Sao Paulo, and nothing like the pizza in, in Italy. So it, it's very interesting how everybody has interpreted this apparently very simple thing. Just bake the dough with sauce and cheese and see what comes out. And let me tell you, there's a whole world of, of pizza out there. And so, um, and, you know, so people feel strongly about their pizza. I mean, it's, it's not a food that people take lightly. People don't feel as strongly about 
uh, even bread or chocolate uh, or pastry, but with pizza, it's like your soccer team or your football team or baseball team. It's like you eat Neapolitan pizza and that's the best pizza there is and there's no other pizza. And people who live in New York, it's like, no, New York slices, is a, that's, that's pizza. Everything else is a joke. In fact, is it, I mean, there, there's, there's, if it's not that style of pizza, people will say, well, that's, that other style, is, that's not pizza. It looks like it, but it's not pizza. Um, and so it's a very interesting subject, too. We're going to piss a lot of people off. I, I have I know a feeling. This. I, I know this, but you can't, you, I mean, you, you, you have to basically lay it out there. I mean, it, it's, we can't really say this pizza is better than the other pizza. We're going to show you all the pizzas. But then the, I mean, even that is going to upset somebody. But What has been presented to you as pizza that you disregard as pizza? <laughs> Great question. Uh... Call it out. No, 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 no. The other day, my daughter asked me if tacos were pizza. <laughs> and I, it took me a second. I had to, before I said, no, that's not pizza. Is uh, a hot but, dog a sandwich? I just want to meter <laughs> your response. <laughs> or, or, or what about Taco Bell's Mexican pizza? That's not a taco, and it's not Mexican. <laughs> so... But is it pizza? Maybe it is, but it's not a taco, and it's not uh, Mexican, so... Fair enough. Um... Well, you, of course, have the, the pizza la in Provence, which that precedes pizza. the pizza. It precedes the pizza in a way we know because tomatoes hadn't been brought to the old world yet. So. But you can go even further back in that. I mean, Egyptians had yes, flatbreads. But, exactly. so, yeah. but then when did it become <laughs> pizza? Because we've gone through so many history books. Uh, the, the first mentions that we have of the term pizza are actually sweet desserts, mm. Italian sweet desserts. They're called pizza. Wow. They have nothing to do with pizza. They use almond flour. It's like a tart. Uh, it's it's it looks a lot like a gâteau basque. Mm. Um, and so, do we call it pizza once we put sauce on it? When we don't know yet. By the way, I'm not making any assessments. <laughs> We're still in the throes of doing research before we actually say this is when pizza started. I hope we find <laughs> the answer to it. Such but a challenge. It is. It's a huge challenge. And then you know, there, but we have. Huh? We're doing a lot of research. We have a lot of books. We have a lot of people. That are contributing to to that particular part, so uh, we'll see we'll see what what answers come up. So, I saw your library when I was out recording with mm -hmm. you, and it was the largest collection of pizza books I've ever seen. And every day we get more <laughs> more books. Uh, there are so many books about pizza. That I think I don't know that there's more books about pizza than there are about bread, but I will tell you that there are more books, more professional books about bread than there are about pizza. Mm -hmm. I would say 99.9% .9 of the books about pizza are written for home bakers. Uh, they're not necessarily written for you to open a pizzeria. Or, I mean, you can extrapolate some of that information, but for the most part, you need to go work somewhere to learn how to make pizza if you want to open a pizzeria. So. Well, when this book or books finally come out, mm -hmm. uh, what's the podcast going to be? Modernist <laughs> Pizza Slice? Uh, we'll think of something cheesy. We'll have to come up with yeah. something, right? Oh. I just did. Oh. I, I, I just did. <laughs> he went there. Yes. yes. I will keep going. There. I'm just going to, I wanted to go ahead and put that out in the universe. Mm. Just a slice of the action happening here. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now it's time for trivia. And I don't think anyone else has seen the questions. So this is for Daniel and Francisco, but everyone's on your team here. All right. The theme is food and art, since that's been kind of the one of the themes of our conversation. So question number one is, how many cans of Campbell's soup are in Andy Warhol's Campbell's soup cans? 
Well, there's so many different versions of it. There's one with just one singular one, and then he has one where he has a pyramid. Uh, so there, I, I, I don't oh. think there's one single answer. There are many different versions of his. Uh, That's a good point. That would be my answer. I'm going to give you credit for that. The, the answer that we had, I guess, was like the really big one is 32. Hmm. Okay. So. Okay. okay. I had no idea. But it was, all, it was all based <laughs> off of one single soup can. Correct. No, but he did different versions also. Some were tomato and, you know. And yeah. <laughs> I think there's like one in, in, is it MoMA, that has like the whole wall of them. But I haven't been in a really long time. And it's so. one where the label is coming off. And so there are many different oh, versions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> True. Okay, question number two. This Italian Renaissance painter is known for creating portraits of people out of cleverly arranged oh, fruit and vegetables. Archimboldo. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. I only know this because I've done two versions of it for real. For real. So <laughs> That's awesome. Of course, yes. All right, Good. question number three. Norman Rockwell's Freedom from Want features a family seated around a table to eat what? Turkey. Correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the most note. American. Yeah. Norman Rockwell painted in the town that I grew up in, in Vermont. Wow. He lived, his studio was next to the barn where I kept my pony. Really? <laughs> it doesn't get any more Vermont than that, does yes. it? <laughs> Question number four. This French painter from the 1800s is known for painting many life stills of apples, pears, and other fruit, sometimes in baskets. Cézanne. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Question number Paul five. One of Vincent van Gogh's most famous paintings depicts a family of peasants sitting around a table eating what? Bread? No. Huh. I don't know. I, I don't know. I want to say apples, but no, no, no. You don't sit at a table to eat that. That's closer. Um, Vincent van Gogh's paint, most famous painting that depicts a family of peasants sitting around a table eating what? I'll give you a hint. It's a root. Potatoes? Yes. And, and our last question is, this painter was a member of the pop art movement of the 50s and 60s. He's known mostly for his paintings of desserts. Some of his works include pies, 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 pie counter, and cakes. Oh, Wayne Tebow. Yes. Oh, bravo. Wayne Tebold? Tebold? Tebold. Yeah, that's the pies, yeah. All right, that was our food in art trivia. You guys won. <laughs> Everybody wins. Everybody wins. If I, if I may point out, I have a beautiful uh, painting of food on the cover of my book uh, by Severine Rosen, uh, and that's from the Metropolitan Museum of Art Collection, which is now public domain. That's why I was able to use it. <laughs> we um, love public domain here. Thank you. Um, okay, there we go. Nonprofit radio. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that's our show. Thanks to everyone for joining us. Once Thank again, you so much. Daniel Isengard, Francisco Mbagoya, Michael Harlett-Durkel, Hannah Forden, Katie Mosen-Wadler, Jordan Werner-Berry, Noah Mosvon, and Amanda Wang. I'm Kat Johnson, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Ciao. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. 
And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.